Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome Jez Ray to the Focus on Why podcast. Hello Amy, lovely to see you. I'm very excited to have Jez because Jez is the person that you need to call to bridge you from being ill-prepared to well-prepared to sharpen your presentation skills in whichever situation that may be. Is that not right? That sums it up beautifully. I couldn't have said it better myself, Amy. Well, I'm sure I'm sure you could because that's your job. <laughs> but I am absolutely thrilled because I know that the audience are going to get some real nuggets of information to take away from hearing what it is you do and why you do it. And more importantly, how you do that. So let's just get into this, shall we? Absolutely. So tell me what it is you do now, Jez. So as you so perfectly well, it's about taking your skill set and being able to help you become more professional in the way that you present, whether that's in the room in front of 100 people, 1,000 people, or simply delivering the sales figures that week to your team or on screen, because so much of communication now is via Zoom, is via MS Teams. It's that skill set of being able to appear confident, sound confident, be confident, and be able to let the others in your room, real or virtual, understand what you're saying, be on the same wavelength, and, and identify with you in what you're saying. And interesting, you just sort of made the distinctions between the different levels of confidence, of, of appearing confident and being confident. How does that manifest? Imagining yourself in the room. Now, whether whichever those scenarios that you're in, the chances are you'll be in a room with other people who are also going to be speaking. There's a sense in all of us, unless we are extreme extroverts or really experienced in this stuff, that we'll, you know, we'll let others take the floor, we'll make sure that they hold the floor, we'll, we'll respect their speaking ability. And behind that, a reluctance to speak ourselves. It's perfectly natural. Let, let, let's put a, you know, something that's ingrained in you around that. A couple of hundred thousand years ago, you are comfortably in the cave with your family, with your friends, with your colleagues, a nice log fire roaring in the corner, and you think, I need a bit of fresh air. So you foolishly step outside the cave, and you are now instantly, potentially lunch for a passing saber-toothed tiger fight or flight mechanism kicks in your brain which survive which is there to help you survive as a human being and as a species says get the hell out of there move two hundred thousand years later and you're due to walk to the front of the room or get ready to present on the screen the brain pulls out the same index card it says you've just put yourself in a situation that's got risk that's got danger to it get the hell out of there. Sweaty palms, churning stomach. It's a perfectly natural reaction that affects us all and probably affects you in the room when you're speaking. So we know that we're not, we haven't got a saber-toothed tiger in the room. We know that we are not lunch for somebody or we have to deliver a talk. Why have we not evolved? Why have our brains not adapted to be able to take us to the front of the room and not have those butterflies and sweaty palms? What's going on? 
That's a very good question. You think of it in evolutionary terms. If I imagine it on um, a, a meter or a yardstick ruler, imagine one of those old fashioned ones. I've got a lovely one that, that my granddad used. It's, it's a nice wood and brass. It's quite a sensuous object in itself. You unfold that, it's a yard long. So picture your yard long, meter long stick. The amount of time that you have been able to communicate, even by writing ancient scriptures in the desert, is just the width of a small elastic band on the end of that meter stick. The amount of time that you've been able to put PowerPoints together and present to the room is so far off that scale that there is no elastic band small enough to fit. So in my view, it's we just not have have not had that time. Give us another couple of hundred thousand years of walking to the front of the room or presenting on screen. Yeah, it might become natural. But at the moment, it's an instinct to feel I've, I've got to run. I just don't want to do this. So bear in mind that we probably haven't got a couple of hundred thousand years before we need to make our next presentation. How can we fast track that? It comes down to to thinking about skills and techniques that will help you be a, a more professional presenter. So here's the scenario. You're with your friends and your colleagues in a cafe and you've got the best gossip story to tell from yesterday. At that point, you are not thinking, I've got to do a formal presentation. I've got to convince my bosses that this is a good idea. I've got to win that pitch. You're, you're just telling a story. That's what we have done for a couple of hundred thousand years, told stories. If we can get in the habit, if you can get in the habit of trying to tell a story when you're presenting and using the same skills that you do when you tell a story, are you telling something really exciting? Are you using a story voice to get that across? Actually, this is a really important instruction I've got to give you. Let's use an instructional voice or, you know, I've got to treat this really gently the way I talk to you. Just as you would in the cafe with your friends, take that set of skills and make them usable skills in presenting, and then you're halfway there. Well, that all makes sense. And seeing as we're skilled in storytelling, it, it seems like a, a fairly easy strategy to adopt, although in practice it's not always the case. I would absolutely agree. And if we were going, if we were on a workshop going really deeply into stories, we would look at some storytelling techniques and nested loops, a, a raft of storytelling techniques that enable you to build what you are saying in a way that your audience can easily take it on board and listen to it. Breadcrumbing. Here's a practical example again. You're sitting, you're sitting in your garden with a beautiful cake and a cup of tea and a beautiful couple of little birds come up and, and tweet around your chair. You know, abs absolute picture postcard scene. Would you throw the entire cake at that bird and expect them to wolf it? No, you wouldn't. You'd break it into little crumbs and feed it so that they could enjoy it and, and take it on board and actually get to the end of what you were trying to achieve with them, which was, which was feed them cake. Transport that into feeding messages to your audience. If you chuck them the loaf of knowledge right at the outset, you, you, you just hit them around the head with something that they just can't take on board. Break it into little sections, create the story and use storytelling techniques to help them understand what you want them to hear. 
That's a great metaphor. And, and I, I can visualize in my mind right now some of those presentations where I've been literally bashed around the head with either a baguette or a, or a cob or whatever type of loaf it was, but 100% get that metaphor. So this is what you're doing now. What did you used to do before, Jez? Oh, that's a very interesting one. So my early days, I'm a council house lad from the back of Dartford who did seven schools, which I don't recommend. And at 18, my mum said to me, uh, Jez, or you know, Gerald is the proper name, but let's not go there. Jez, uh, you, you're not going to change your job every five minutes like your dad does. Here's, here's an application for the bank. So at the tender age of 18, I joined NatWest Bank and expected to be there for the full 40 years. As it happens, it was just 25, and then RBS came along and destroyed everybody's lives, pensions, and savings, but let's not go there. And then three more roles in SMEs. I'd been trained in relationship management, relationship sales, so it was natural to take those skills into smaller organizations, particularly IT-based organizations where they didn't have that skill set. So that's, that was what I used to do, relationship management, banking, and sales. And were you doing any public speaking or, or this, this kind of thing in that time? Yes. Isn't it interesting how what we do in previous lives can help us shape something that works in later life? So in the late 1970s, and I'll always remember this, I was walking down the corridor of NatWest Bank Epsom area office. And the Epsom area personnel manager, who was about two foot high, but you always saluted her when you walked by, said, uh, Mr. Ray, you want to become a bank manager one day? Yes, yes. Uh, you will join the British Junior Chamber of Commerce. So I did. And within two minutes, they said, ah, Jez, uh, we do public speaking competitions. You are going for the training. So an age when I was too young and naive to know how to say no, I was thrust into public speaking competitions at a national level. And that stayed with me for many years. I used to do a lot of uh, workshops for the bank, a bit of radio broadcasting. I'm used to singing is my, my passion, my hobby. I'm familiar with being the MC of the Leith Hill Musical Festival, which means standing on stage to 600 people to run the day. So all through the commercial career, a lot of things in my personal life were touching on public speaking, presenting and communicating. So essentially, your your voice is your gift if you love singing and you love speaking. Absolutely. Singing is what I absolutely adore. And if you indulge me for just one moment, I'm just going to show you something really special. So this, this is the Carnegie Hall, New York. And right in the corner of that screen is me singing a uh, an a cappella solo uh, last last year sometime when I went there with my choral society so singing singing is my escape in life if you're in a close harmony group producing sounds that where the harmonics are just bouncing off the room it is unbelievable and again back to skills that we acquire in earlier life without realizing it everything you do in singing the breathing the stance the way you use your voice is so useful in public speaking. So in the workshops that I run, there's a whole raft of singing techniques coming in because they work. So we're talking about storytelling, we're talking about singing, and you're talking about communication. How important is communication in today's world? It is, is it not the bedrock of what we do? Anyone who owns their own business says, you have got to communicate what you do. 
unless you are fortunate enough or, or have chosen a route to be somewhere where you can just quietly shut yourself away and work where communication is not needed. For most of us, that's not the case. We've got to communicate our business. We've got to communicate in our families. We've got to communicate everywhere that we go. And what, again, I always find fascinating is how what we do instinctively as human beings when we are relaxed and with our friends and our colleagues, we forget to transport to the business place. Or our, our, again, that amazing uh, pattern machine of the brain, we haven't trained it to use those techniques that we're comfortable with. But communication is, is surely the bedrock of everything from business to family to relationships. I totally agree. And it's it's interesting that you didn't see that in your early life, that your passion was there and you didn't follow that passion. Why was that? Do you know, I've asked myself that so many times looking back. At the time, yeah, so in my family, the priority as a you know, blue collar council house family, the priority was to get a job, get a safe, secure job, get the money coming in, support the family, pay the mortgage. And that, that certainly was the priority for me for four decades of commercial life. The skills were there, but I was using them in a different context. And it wasn't until another redundancy and a change of life and a change of circumstance that not a light bulb moment by any means, just a, a dim 15 watt glow, that actually, you know, there was a chance to do something different here that could really help other people. And I think potentially that's where you light up your life in terms of being able to help. What does it mean to you to help people communicate? The reward, we have to earn money to survive, don't we? But there's, you cannot put any money on the reward of helping people. So whether it's a student at University of Surrey, just down the road from me, a, a, a tech guy, who spends his life coding, took on board the skills from a workshop and won his placement with Microsoft because he was able to use presenting and speaking skills to, to get his message across and he got chosen. Another business situation, uh, someone was in a workshop and we were working on presenting and speaking skills. Uh, it was a, lo a lovely lady, Suki, and just as she left, she said, oh, yes, I'm just off to pitch over this weekend. And I thought nothing of it. Then the following week, she says, Jez, I was one of 20 pitchees for a, for, a, for a business investment pitch, and I've just won £100,000 investment for the business because she had used that set of skills that we had worked on, added it to her knowledge and her deep understanding of her business, and engaged, engaged with the people that she was presenting to. And that's, that's what makes the difference. So what sort of transformations do you get? So from the beginning of a workshop to the end of the workshop, what can people visibly see in themselves? I Actually, that's a very interesting point because I, I love to let people see the change in others. What, what you don't want in a workshop, whether it's on screen or in the room, you do not want someone like me standing in front of you talking about speaking for the entire length of the workshop to be able to work with people and bring the skills out. So let, let's take a practical one. Breathing is something that's so important in speaking. And from my singing background, you know, so much, so much training, thanks to my MDs in, in learning to sing and breathe. It never fails. 
I can get someone to do a little 15 second or 30 second intro about themselves and we'll work on breathing techniques and then get that person to focus on their the techniques of breathing as they walk up to the front or as they come to stand up to the screen and the difference is visible and palpable not you know, not not turning into a Barack Obama overnight no Damascene revelations but marginal gains that are visible to their colleagues in the office. So when we do the roundup is, you know, uh, what did you notice in the difference between the first one and the second one? And it's, the comments are always, they were, you know, they, they caught my attention, they were more confident. The results that that person wanted to have for his audience are now visible to the people in the workshop. And that's the basis that I work on. Let's work on techniques practically so that you see it and you get feedback from your colleagues that you know how it works. And that gives you that gives you the confidence to go and use it next time, to go and use it the next afternoon, the next week. Use those skills to build your own confidence. So you you just you just build that knowledge level up. And it's interesting that you you sort of had all these different sort of other roles, which you can now with hindsight see that they were serving you to get to this point in in your new sort of new life and your new business. But what was the sort of tipping point? I mean, you mentioned it was like a light bulb or a dim glow, but why didn't you go back into another job? Well, isn't it again, circumstances change around you, don't they? So this particular one, I would have been um late 50s actually six years ago so yeah, yeah yeah quite some time ago paying someone to help me with job applications with cvs and i've been here before uh yeah a quarter of a century in one role three other roles more redundancies more money lost and we all go there he put me through myers-briggs which i've been through before it didn't really mean anything before but this one slapped me around the face like a wet kipper and said jez you've always done that which is relationship management, sales, business development, you built up 40 years of skills and skill set and then the abilities to do it and the training to do it. Did you ever really want to do it? And the answer I'll admit was no, I did it because I could, I did it because that was the role that opened up with the money as a job to do it. This time was different. This time circumstances around were different. Uh, our youngsters weren't with us, they were both at uni at the time, so we could take a risk. Of all things, little opened in my hometown. So the cost of actually living dropped through the floor when they first opened. It was really an interesting time. For the first time in working life, we could take a risk, a calculated risk of doing something totally and utterly different, of trying something on my own with the with, with the sort of fallback that if it didn't work, yeah, go and go and stack shelves somewhere. But actually it did in a slow 15 watt light bulb burning way everything that i'd done in the previous 40 years came together as a set of skills that i could transfer and teach to other people and it's interesting do you think that your mindset had changed or do you think society had changed or a combination i think it, it's a combination if we go back not too many years presenting was actually taking one of those machines with a bulb in it and some acetate sheets you remember those i forgot the name of that but you know the overhead projectors of, that's it the height the height of presenting was an overhead projector and you were pretty nifty if you carried a spare bulb and and your your slides didn't fall over the floor but of course you PowerPoint came in and then death by PowerPoint came in and the whole area of presenting took on a, a different angle to 
to it. So, yep, yep, society changed. Also, for me personally, I think it's skill sets and confidence. I look back on a quarter of a century in the bank, three SME roles, a pile of redundancies. For me, that is a 40-year apprenticeship that's seen me go from, you know, I'm a council house lad from the back end of Dartford, but when I was looking after high net worth clients, I saw and met with people in, in, in wealth that was unimaginable. I've done everything from sitting in a job center to collect my job seekers allowance 20 years ago, through to traveling around Europe and the States on a BA silver card level, didn't quite get to the gold card, but BA silver card level in terms of the role that I was doing. So all, all those experiences enables me to walk alongside you when we're in the room on a workshop or doing one-to-one -one work with something big that you've got coming up. And do you think your circle of friends changed in this new role as well? Actually, no. Friends remain very special, don't they? So I've been singing with my local Dorking Choral Society for 20, 25 years. And in one particular chamber choir within that group for the same amount of time. We are close friends and many of us have seen our circumstances change in life and death over that time. We remain a group of close friends. What has changed is the, the networking, which was never necessary in the bank in the 1990s. You just did your job. But now networking means building another layer of, of close colleagues and acquaintances. And yes, that has certainly changed. And there's a, a very professional aspect to building that, that relationship network. And that's where we met at the PSA meeting in Brands Hatch and back in March. And, you know, that was that was such a great eye opener for me because of people coming from different walks of life, different industries and having that opportunity to network with like minded people who have messages they want to deliver, but in very different ways and in very different for very different reasons. And I find that fascinating as a group of people. I, I would agree. The PSA is we find our tribes, don't we? So, yes, the PSA for me, Professional Speaking Association, every model is different. You can't say, oh, there's, you know, that that's the one. It's not like a commercial scenario where you say that's the path I've got to follow to reach the top. All of its members have different business models, and that's what makes it so interesting. We're about the business of speaking. With another hat on, I'm heavily involved with the Institute of Directors, uh, both locally and in an advanced membership in, in Pall Mall. And that's about the tribe of people who, at the heart of it, want to build their businesses, but be able to share knowledge and work together in collaboration. And another area where we've met, um, I'm a, an author within a publishing house, and we we have similar aims and ambitions. We you know, we want to change the world. Of course we do. That's, that's what writing's all about. But we have a collaboration that goes beyond just, just talking to each other. And with your changing the world for one page at a time between you, what is it you really want to get out of, of life now? What is it you're trying to achieve? What's your mission? To keep changing people's ability it's about confidence isn't it so we call it yes we call it your, your skills in speaking your skills in presenting Und, underneath that it's about your confidence if you can be a confident presenter then that opens so many doors for you so that reward for me in building the confidence in people building the speaking skills in people i in the bank you did your 40 years you retired, you took your pension, and certainly the, you know, the, the, the average lifespan of a retired bank manager 
years ago was was pretty short because your life had just stopped by that point. What are you going to do? Yeah, get involved in charities. I'm, I'm dissing my colleagues, but uh, taking a bigger picture in life, I feel like an excited little boy with a new toy. I'm I'm mid sixties, and it feels like life is only just beginning. There are so many things we can do. The book is now out. The audio book is out. There's more workshops being put together. The collaborations. In fact, I I get told off by my coaches by my my publishing team because I go chasing squirrels all over the place. That looks really interesting. I've got to follow that. There is so much opportunity, and at the core of that is doing something that helps develop people's skills and their confidence levels. So finding your passion late in life, um, you don't have any regrets because it's just the way it is. But what is it going to mean for you in the in the next years to come? Well, yeah, certainly no regrets. Um, I could, I, I could never go back. Well, apart from the else, I'm totally unemployable. Yeah, you know, who, who would employ me? Who, who would have someone in this shirt? You know. Um, so going forward, there's a whole new raft of workshops being built at the moment. There's some online material that's being put together so that we cope for both in the room and 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 on screen as well. Yes, the book is out. The audio book is out. Uh, and it's for me, it's now about collaborations going forward with authors, with other conversations going on at the moment. And as always, there'll only be a certain percentage that go anywhere. That That's the, the nature of any uh, business relationship. But the opportunity to collaborate and build on these skills, and also a very personal one for me, it's the only opportunity in life I've ever had to leave a legacy for my family, to be able to leave something that helps them financially and even gives them skill set if only they'd listen to me family never listened to you do they to leave a legacy for my daughters would be would be absolutely fantastic so apart from leaving the legacy which is no mean feat in itself and potentially singing in the Carnegie Hall again what other sort of future plans have you got so certainly at the moment it's about knuckling down to continuing to develop the workshops and with the help of my my coaching team, it's about taking them to a deeper, deeper and deeper level in order to make it more resounding and more resonating for you as the client. And it's about building those workshops and building building an online presence around those so that it's, it, it's more than just me in the room. Uh, and that I know is an ambition for all of us. But again, for the first time in anything that I've done, there's the real opportunity to do it here. So, um, so watch this space and maybe even collaborate on another book a bit further down the future. One of my previous uh, MDs, as in conductors of the Choral Society, with all his skills in singing, is very interested in us putting together a really niche angle on the use of your voice. So, yeah, if it's about presenting, it's also about taking singing techniques to another level. That sounds intriguing. I look forward to hearing all about that. So, Jez, it's been absolutely fascinating hearing about how communication can be enhanced to improve your business, to improve your general life skills. It's been brilliant. And I'm sure that lots of people will take a lot from this particular episode. So thank you for that. How would people get in touch with you, Jez? The easiest thing to do is just to search for Jez Ray, G-E-S-R-A-Y. 
usefully, although yes, I was Chris and Gerald, uh, picked up the name Jez about 50 years ago, and it's come in so useful in today's world. There is no other Jez Ray that will pop up. Just Google Jez Ray, and let's commit anywhere that you're comfortable with. LinkedIn is one of my preferred social media platforms, but phone numbers, emails, just Google Jez Ray. You will find a way of connecting with me, and I will talk to, I'm happy to talk to you on whatever platform is comfortable for you. Fantastic. Well, I'll put all the contact details in the show notes anyway, so people can have those. And and what message would you like to leave us all with today? Think about how professional do you come across to your client? When we're talking about speaking and presenting, it's very natural for us all to think about, you know, it's about me, it's about I, it's about how I present. The objective is it's for your client to perceive you in the way that they want to be spoken to. Think, think of it this way. When you meet your client for the first time, you do it automatically. You put your game face on, you extend a hand for a handshake, and you know that you just got a second or two to make that first impression. Think of doing the same when you are presenting. Your first presentation to your client, whether it's in the room or on screen, that opening couple of seconds is your handshake to your client. Do you want it to be a warm, firm, comfortable, secure business handshake? Or do you want it to be one of those wet, drippy ones where the recipient just wants to rush off to the hand sanitizer and clean the gunk away? Which impression do you want to create for your clients and work on the skills that enable you to be that professional speaker, that professional presenter, whether you're simply presenting the sales figures that morning or delivering a pitch to 100,000 people in the Carnegie Hall. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.